Old powers waken, shadows stir, an age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us, an age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with another episode of the Obsidian Nights podcast where we go through A Song of Ice and Fire chapter by chapter. And on each episode, I'm joined by a guest. And today I have with me Tatiana. Tatiana, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody and let them know where they can find you? Yeah. Hi. Um, So my name's Tatiana. Um, I'm a huge A Song of Ice and Fire fan. Um, I am pretty much all over the internet. Um, you can find me on YouTube at Titania Blue. Um, you can find me on Reddit as uh, Chip Watsua. I know it's a complicated name. And you can find me on Twitter as Tatiana of House Nymeros Martell. Um, that's probably the biggest places to find me. Okay. And you can just um, send me your links and I will put them in the description box. So you guys can check the description box for her links. So today we are doing Tyrion 6. So where we last left off with Tyrion, he won his trial by combat at the Vale with Bronn as his champion. And he's leaving the Vale on his own with Bronn. And it's kind of like a death sentence. They don't, they don't know if they're going to make it. Um, so what are your initial thoughts about this chapter on, on reread? Like, what were you thinking? Anything popped um, out? I had forgotten um, just how juicy this chapter is. Cause I, I, you know, like when you're starting it, um, they're just leaving the veil and talking about how they're leaving. And I'm just like, Oh, you know, I, I don't remember a whole lot happening in this chapter. And then You get to like the second or third page and it it all just comes out. Right. So they're leaving the veil and they're trying to decide, you know, what to do, like how to make it alive. Like they know, um, like they can't light a fire. They can't cook any food or anything. Um, Bron is like, are you so hungry to die, dwarf? Or have you taken leave of your senses? A fire will bring the clansmen down on us from miles around. I mean, to survive this journey, Lannister. And Tyrion is like, well, how do you hope to do that? And like, they're just kind of going back and forth about how to make it back down the mountain. It's so clear that that um, Lysa meant for them to die. I mean, she gave them no escort. She knows that there's almost no way to make it back down to the lowlands without some kind of escort. Uh, Bronn is not enough. <laughs> yeah, and Lysa's kind of like really stupid because had Tyrion died, the blood would have been on her hands and Tywin right. would have made her pay for that. And another really interesting thing is... Like, yeah, there is no way to make it down the mountain, but you never bet against Tyrion. Like, you never bet against Tyrion. And we're learning that as the books go on. Like, Tyrion is a survivor, like, straight up. He He's always in positions that he should die in, and he makes it out. Because he should die. He sh- like, he's meant to die. 
in this in this leaving the veil, he's meant to die. I think that Lysa probably just didn't. She she doesn't think things through. Um, she she acts clearly out of impulse a lot, and she was just so mad that he didn't die in the trial, and like she wanted to kill him anyway, and Honor demanded that she had to let him go, but she's not going to do anything to make sure he actually made it back. And I think everybody in the veil probably would have seen that as obviously this is insane. Um, <laughs> Tywin does not take um, Petty like, Oh, it wasn't my fault <laughs> as a, as an option. He would have, he would have um, come with uh, to take the Targaryen words, fire and blood. If Tyrion had died and he doesn't even like Tyrion. No, Tywin would have taken no pity on Lysa. And that just goes to show how crazy Lysa is. So, I think that the dynamic between Tyrion and Bronn is kind of interesting. Like Bronn is kind of like, do you really think you're going to outlive me? And Tyrion is like, I would kill you. Like if it came down to it, I would kill you in an instant. Right. And he, they're such very different people who come from very different backgrounds. Um, like Bronn is, Bronn is someone who's had to live by his wits and by the strength of his arm his whole life like he's he's not even a hedge knight actually he's he's not knighted at all he's just some vagabond, vagabond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's, just, he's just a vagabond and i think that that's where Tyrion excels is not just in Tyrion being smart just being a smart dude and like having the wits to survive any situation but just being able to mingle and make um friends with people that necessarily you wouldn't normally make friends with like a high lord you would never see any other high lord besides Tyrion Lannister and maybe like Aegon the unlikely egg mingling with the likes of Bronn right because he he's he's nobody he's like I said he's not even a hedge knight so he doesn't even get he doesn't get any prestige he's just a common sellsword and I mean really the only involvement any lord would have with him is that someone underneath them would hire them to fight for him. Like, I don't think anyone would ever even talk to this man. He right. wouldn't be in charge, nothing. And, and Tyrion's like kind of skeptical of him because he killed Chigan. Like he killed his own friend. Right. And Bronn is like, you know, well, he was good as dead anyway. <laughs> like, whatever. Um, and he was like, um, that Chigan would have done the same for him. And like, Bronn's like, you know, he's not my friend. He's just a dude that I rode with. And I I feel like we always call Bronn Tyrion's friend, but is Bronn really Tyrion's friend? <laughs> or is Bronn Tyrion's employee? I think it definitely starts out that way. I it wouldn't surprise me if Bronn has like a a small little hole of friendship in him towards the end of their relationship, but nothing at all with like how the show put it. Like the show really put it where like, you know, Bronn's giving Tyrion a lot of extra chances he wouldn't give anyone else. And it's clearly not just for money. Like there's some, there's some 
kindness between him and Tyrion and Jamie that he doesn't have with other people in the show. And I don't think it's quite to that degree in the books. I think he he is um, kind of out to get whatever he can out of life. And Tyrion was offering him um not not just not just money but um a position and you know like when they get to king's landing he puts him in charge of the gold cloaks he eventually gets knighted like he steps up the ladder a lot by just hanging out with Tyrion. and the only thing Tyrion asks for in return is basically you know if anyone else ever offers to kill me i'll pay double i'll pay whatever more i have to (laughs) and and they and I, I do think that Bron, like when we get to dance and or feast, I think it's feast, dance, one of them, where we learn that Bron's stepson has been named Tyrion. Like I do I, think Bron is fond of Tyrion, but I do think Bron's loyalty is to Bron. Like exactly, Bron is like, not no honorable knight that's gonna just like be loyal to you to the death. I don't feel that about Bron. Like, I don't think he would have stepped up here in the Vale to fight for Tyrion if he didn't think that, A, he could win, and B, that he would get something out of winning, which he did. Um, Like, you know, in the show, they had him, you know, when Tyrion asked him to fight the mountain for him, he was basically like, could I win? Maybe. Is it worth it? Am I going to get a lot out of it? No. And I feel like that's what his thoughts would have been in the Vale if Tyrion had nothing to offer and there wasn't a chance that he could beat um this night he i think he really kind of weighed his options and he was like you know i could probably win and this guy's got a lot of gold and he's in a really tough spot so i can I'm be his savior compensated <laughs> right i'll be his savior they will <laughs> compensate me well for that um i he wasn't gonna get paid then right now at the trial right i love this interaction between Bronn and Tyrion. Tyrion says, the Starks look for courage and loyalty and honor in the men they choose to serve them. And if truth be told, you and Chigan were lowborn scum. Tyrion stuck the flint against his dagger, trying for a spark, nothing. Bronn snorted, you have a bold tongue, little man. One day, someone is like to cut it out and make you eat it. Everyone tells me that, Tyrion glanced up at the sellsword. Did I offend you? My pardons, but you are scum, Bronn. Make no mistake. Duty, honor, friendship, what's that to you? No, don't trouble yourself. We both know the answer. Still, you're not stupid. (laughs) Once we reached the Vale, Lady Stark had no more need of you, but I did. And the one thing that the Lannisters have never lacked for is gold. So Tyrion basically tells him exactly what he is, exactly why he saved Tyrion. But the interesting thing is that Bronn tells Tyrion that somebody's going to cut out your tongue. And I don't know if you've ever heard the Tyrion tongue theory. Have you ever heard that theory? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I, we, I feel like um, anyone in the Song of Ice and Fire, <laughs> major crazy fandom, um, reading every line that we can like 50 times is like, definitely realize just how many times people comment that someone's going to cut out his tongue. And it feels like foreshadowing, um, one that we obviously don't have payoff yet for, so we can't say that it for sure is going to be, um, 
I don't know. Do you feel like it's a red herring or do you feel like that is George being like, oh, it's coming? I feel like it's coming. But the only thing I honestly think that it's going to be Aegon, Phaegon, that orders mm-hmm. his tongue cut out, kind of like the Mad King did with Sir Ellen Payne. But I also wonder, you know, like, will it actually be carried out? Will it actually be carried out? Mm-hmm. Because I think that Phaegon should have beef with Tyrion. <laughs> like, oh. Like Tyrion had basically set him up and he doesn't even know it yet. But I believe once he's like gets to Westeros and starts taking L's, like he's going to be like that fucking dwarf told me to do this. When I see him, I'm going to cut his tongue out for this bad advice. (laughs) So I think it could be something like that. Maybe Tyrion, maybe Fagon, maybe John Cunnington, maybe someone from that corner, maybe even Daenerys, maybe even Daenerys. Maybe Varys, because Varys likes, yeah, Varys likes to cut tongues out. So it's, I think it's foreshadowed so much that they're gonna, um, they're gonna cut his tongue out or at least attempt to. Um, so basically, Bronn and Tyrion talk about Tyrion is like, well, the gold ends when I do, like, if I die you get no gold. And um, they kind of sit, just sit there and talk for a minute. And then that's when the, the stone crows show up. Right. right. And I have so, um, I feel like I have so much to talk about the Vale Mountain clans. Um, I don't know if you felt like this was a juicy part, but I actually, I love the world of ice and fire book. And I, I love getting into like deep history and everything. And just, I feel like this part really echoes so many things that we see um, in the history of Westeros. Um, Like one major thing being the fact that these mountain clans are first men and we see it, I think it's kind of like an echo of what happened with um, not just the first men that got pushed to the north, but also the uh, wildlings past the wall and the um, children of the forest, because all of them got pushed out to areas that are really inhospitable by the Andals. And (laughs) then the Andals call them barbaric because, you know, how how are they supposed to build themselves up when they're stuck in a place that like they can't even find food? You know, you're, you're not building castles or making a great civilization when, when you're on the edge of starving all the time. Right. And uh, that's the same thing for the wildlings. So I I totally agree with that. But before we get into the mountain clans, because we skipped a part that I think is very important. Taisha. Tyrion tells Bronn the story of Taisha. So Taisha is Tyrion's like first love and she was a crofter's daughter and Tyrion married her, had sex with her and all of this stuff. And then supposedly Jamie told Tyrion that with, first Tyrion fell in love with Taisha. Like, let's be clear because his whole fucking 
where do whores go thing is all about Taisha. So basically, Jamie says she's a whore. I paid her to do this. And Tywin brings her um, back, brings her somewhere. He had like a whole a barrack of soldiers rape her. Right. So he had all the soldiers rape her and pay her with a silver. And um, he sat Tyrion down in the corner of the barracks and made him watch. And at the end, she had so many silvers, the coins were slipping through her fingers and rolling on the floor. And it sounds like Tyrion's about to cry. Mm -hmm. He's talking about this. And then um, he said, Lord Tywin had me go last. And he gave me a gold coin to pay her because I was a Lannister and worth more. And then... Um, then that's when the people come in. But I think Taisha is a very important part of Tyrion's story because had Jamie Jamie lied to Tyrion. Yeah. Taisha was never a whore. Um, she was a girl that just loved Tyrion. And Tyrion's life would have been so much different. Like, I wonder if the relationship between Tyrion and Taisha is what made Tyrion like start being a guy that frequents brothels and drinks all the time. Right. He starts looking for whores. Like he's looking for Taisha in whores because he thought that Taisha was a whore because that's what he was told. Well, and I mean, you also have to think about the fact that he, um, his father, I mean, Tywin had been trying to make matches for Tyrion and nobody wants their daughter to marry an ugly dwarf nobody and he's the son i mean like he first of all he's not the firstborn son so um even though jamie took the white and shouldn't be able to inherit tywin acts like that doesn't matter and that that jamie's still his heir so everyone else is thinking like what is Tyrion? but an ugly dwarf like he he does he's not going to be the heir to casterly rock he's not going to be warden of the north you know he doesn't have a lot to recommend him And he's stuck as a single guy. And when he does find someone, his dad did this. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Tywin is a monster, (laughs) a monster. So back to the Stone Crows and the Moon Brothers and the Burnt Ears or the Burned Men and the Black Ears. So I agree that I think it's kind of fucked up that they they are titled the savages and things and it's their homeland, their first men. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be like you saying that the Starks are savages because they don't live the same way that you live in the Vale. Um, even though the Starks are way more civilized than the mountain clans. But there's mountain clans in the North as well. Like not even, not, in the north before you pass the wall and then of course the um stannis went to them yes right john told john told them to go ask for their allegiance yes and then beyond the wall you have the wildlings and like the further you get away from the wall the weirder they are (laughs) like not weirder i mean they're just not like the regular people in westeros like the thens the thens creep me out and the Skagosi, they're also, you would consider the Skagosi like a mountain clan, even though they're on an island. But, you know, they're first men. They're not as civilized as 
the regular Westerosi, but you really can't expect them to be when their homeland was taken from them and they're every day they wake up just trying to survive. And I mean, you mentioned like with House Stark, um, I mean, in the Vale, there are a few first men houses left very few but there are a few and of course i think house royce is the most well thought of and yeah. well known of the first men houses and i find it interesting that their words are we remember and yet <laughs> they they treat the other first men that got you know pushed off into the mountains like like they know, forgot <laughs> like they forgot yeah. like oh yeah no we're not we're not part of that we're civilized now <laughs> they're like fully integrated with andal society but then they are super proud of their first men heritage and they use the runes and the old words um I think that is really reminiscent of the Starks, you know, the, the, um, everyone says like the North remembers, um, in the North, the North remembers. And it's like, do you though? Yeah. (laughs) Do you really know? I don't think they do. I think that the phrase should be the North forgot because a lot of the, like, I feel like a lot of the issue with the others and them really not knowing shit about the others is because they forgot, (laughs) like they don't remember. Right. Is there so much stuff with like the wall even where like the Night's Watch has so many things that contradict that it clearly seems like they're missing information. Oh, they are 100 percent. And I also noticed um, on reread that the clansmen like they have like their weaponry like they have swords and knives but that's likely shit that they've stolen off of people that they've killed but like they have wooden spears and shit like they're really primal like they they don't have they don't have anything to be able to to truly have um a full civilization anymore beyond like raiding they they literally got pushed up into the mountaintop the inhospitable mountaintop mm-hmm. and then they watch um when i was reading about the eerie in a, uh, the world of ice and fire book it says you know um they built the eerie on top of that mountain um with all this like extreme opulence and effort um and, and just kept riding on past the the first men who who start coming down the mountain because they're starving from harsh winters and they're just kind of like you know ignoring them like spending all this money to to build a giant castle yeah they're tone deaf yeah (laughs) not reaching out and like maybe getting these people to to join their society like i mean has anyone tried talking to these people before Tyrion? you know like we have options for you (laughs) it doesn't seem like it at all like not one bit um i did want to say like one interesting bit about the veil and about the mountain clans the burned men it are connected to nettles apparently and i thought that was some interesting information so when nettles left damon um when she left and all the window, the dragons roared and all the windows busted out of John Quill's tower, Nettles went to the Vale and was in a cave. And like, they talk about a fire witch that lived in the Vale and the burn men had to go like, see her to become a man. I thought that was really interesting stuff. I did too. And it's, it's the weirdest thing. And I, 
I love that George does this, but um, the weirdest thing is like just from reading Game of Thrones, like if you forgot everything else that you knew about A Song of Ice and Fire, that wouldn't mean anything to you, you know, Mm -hmm. like just from this point in the story, hearing about a fire witch who controlled a dragon, like that doesn't mean anything to you. I love how, I guess, kind of um, interwoven things are throughout a song of ice and fire as a whole that to truly understand like the whole story you really have to be you know reading all the extra material um like the duncan egg uh, novellas and the world of ice and fire and fire all of blood. that fire and blood <laughs> yeah all, all of fire it. and it, blood love it's, it it's all connected it's all connected it's all it's such a rich universe i love the a song of ice and fire universe and another thing so well let's just go let's just keep going so next um Tyrion basically convinces the stone crows and moon brothers and the mountain clans he convinces them to escort him and they're like you know well what are you gonna give us he's like i'll give you the veil mm-hmm. like i'll give you the veil of Aaron. so Tyrion's basically promising these guys that he's going to bring his army back like he's going to bring an army back and take the veil and give it to them and like and not he, just the eerie the whole veil like the, the whole entire, veil the entire uh was the warden of the east the entire area of the veil yeah and that's insane like that was <laughs> never gonna happen ever i mean he did offer them i mean they are still gonna get probably more than they ever would have got um I saved some of their quotes here. So the the um, a couple of the um, mountain men say uh, the gold of the lowland lord is as worthless as a half man's promises. And uh, then, no, I would hear his words. The mothers go hungry and steel fills more mouths than gold. Like Tyrion promises them weapons so that they can raid better mm-hmm. um in the veil he's like hey okay you don't want anything that i have because you're gonna kill me and what why would gold matter to them they're not part of civilization they can't exactly go to the market and right. buy things so it's like i they don't need gold what they what they rely on is weapons that they normally steal from people right so they can for attack survival people. yeah tools for survival they don't care about gold. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's basically how the chapter ends is Tyrion again convincing someone with his mouth, that's it, with his brain, just his brain, that they should be on his side. And they basically that saves his life again. He could talk his way out of anything. And that's what I love about Tyrion. He really can. He really knows how to read people and figure out what what can I offer them that that will get them on my side. Um, and even if that's just like words mm-hmm. that they need to feel solace or something like he kind of does with John. John, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just um, he he's very, uh, I, I would say, empathetic. Like he can really read people and figure out, you know, what their needs are and how to meet them um he doesn't just i won't say he never tricks people because he does but um so many i think why people feel compassionate for tywin i mean for Tyrion, even when he does wrong is that he he often uses his wits to help other people in order to get them on his side so he's he's doing good for other people 
the majority of the time when he's trying to get them on his side like these mountain clans when they when they leave with him you know i'm sure they're they're probably going to get more food than they've had in a long time yeah when they join the 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 the, uh lannister army yeah oh for sure 100 percent. they're gonna be feasting and like but that's the thing about Tyrion is he's so fucking smart like as a character in the story I would say he's some the smartest character in the story like not only is he funny he's I think he's one of the funniest characters but he's also the smartest character and you may say well like what about Mr. Eamon or what about Samuel Tarly I think they are book smart There's a lot of people that are book smart, but Tyrion has a certain street smarts that I feel like you only learn in brothels. (laughs) Like he has the gift of gab and he's charming and cunning and I love it. So did you have anything that you wanted to add that we didn't talk about? Um, I have a couple of things. I'll try not to go too crazy on you. (laughs) You're good. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about where the veil is currently as we're in um uh, um a game of thrones just because i feel like we don't come back to the veil um hardly at all until until sansa gets um with there and those are uh winds of winds chapters i think um mostly that aren't necessarily 100 percent right now yeah the elaine um, chapters I think with the the eerie, with the way the eerie is um, supposed to be so secure, um, in the world of ice and fire, it says that the last dragon perished long ago at King's Landing. So the future lords of the eerie may once again sleep secure in the knowledge that their splendid seat remains forever invulnerable and impregnable. Like, I think that's the whole reason that John Aaron felt safe in defying King Eris because the Targaryens no longer had dragons. So at that point it was like, well, I have like a really impregnable castle and they don't have dragons anymore. So right. if I do defy them, they don't have that card that they used to hold over the Eerie. Mm-hmm. And the only bad thing about the Eerie is that during winter, it's impossible to get supplies up there. So usually they only stay there um spring summer and fall which brings me to my next thought um winter can last for years was lysa planning on sieging herself in the eerie like through all winter i mean she's nuts enough to do that but i don't think the people around her would have allowed that right and i mean that's what i was i when rereading this i was just thinking about it i was like okay she she went to the eerie because she felt safer there and she keeps talking about how you know that we're safe here we're safe here they can't get us and it's like were were you planning to stay there for forever (laughs) (laughs) i mean i do like think that they may like bring a whole bunch of supplies and try to go back to the eerie if white walkers are a threat to the veil oh yeah that would be awesome but I also think they might go back to the Eerie when Danny gets over here with her dragons. Because there's dragons now. Well, no, well, the, the, the Eerie's not even safe from dragons, so maybe they wouldn't. But for White Walkers, yeah. I was going to say, it might be the perfect place to, to hide out from the White Walkers. Or, and who knows, um, 
I don't want to get too deep into the craziness of the show, but <laughs> uh, I think was it season seven maybe where they were like they can't swim or something, so they're the like, uh, um, gosh, I just forgot his name, the fake pirate guy. You're on. Fake you're on. He was like, uh, he was like, I'm just gonna go to an island and wait it out. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, is that a possibility? Cause um some of the islands in the world of Planetos are pretty big. Like, you know, pick yourself a really nice one, a decent amount of people and supplies. Um I don't believe that I, gonna... I don't believe that the I no? can I, the they can't swim thing because that letter from Cotter Pike from oh, yeah. Eastwatch was like dead things in the dead water. In the water. So I don't think that I think that's some bullshit. <laughs> some bullshit that they just wrote in there for Euron to have a funny line and act like he was running away. That makes sense. That actually makes more sense than yeah. <laughs> because I mean it seems like this is supposed to be like a world devastating like the the long night before is like a world devastating thing. And I just, you know, I could almost see the White Walkers themselves walking on water, like being so cold that their footsteps kind of freeze the water as they walk. Like I could kind of see something like that. But I doubt like, I don't know, maybe they can't swim. Maybe that's why the neck got flooded so they couldn't move past the neck. Maybe there was some that magic that flooded the neck was actually to stop the white walkers from getting any farther south than they already had gotten. That would no, be an interesting take on it. Yeah. There's so much. There's so much. <laughs> there's so much. I mean, there's you so just never don't know. know. Yeah. You just never know because they make it so ambiguous so that you don't know exactly, but you can wonder, but you guys can let us know in the comments. If do you think the white walkers can swim can they walk on water? Is water an issue for them? The last thing I wanted to just go over a little bit was what happened with Tyrion and Tysha. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to point out, like, they are 13 and 14 when this happens. Like, Tysha's a 14-year-old girl who lost her father and all of her family and was probably running from those two men who were probably trying to rape her. Mm-hmm. And she's just an innocent girl and Tywin Tywin knew that and yet he had an entire barrack of um, soldiers rape her to prove a point to Tyrion to like and he didn't need to do that because Jamie says that he agreed um, to once he reveals it to Tyrion he says that he agreed to do it Um, Because Tywin told him that she just wanted Tyrion for his money and that they were just going to tell Tyrion that he she was a whore so that he would, you know, go along with the marriage being annulled Mm -hmm. and basically probably just send her away. And then he and Jamie says he did not know Tywin was going going to have her raped. Yeah, that that was like so unnecessary if they had just said, oh, yeah, she's a whore and I'm sending her away. But Tyrion, I mean, Tywin just has to be absolutely brutal, even to his own children. He has to like he and it's not like I think that the dynamic between Tyrion and Tywin, like I think Tywin hates Tyrion. 
Like he hates him. He blame like he doesn't know if Tyrion's his, and he blames Tyrion for the death of Joanna, and he's just like a stain to Tywin, like a stain on his legacy. And I think Tywin, at every chance he gets, wants to let Tyrion know your life is mine to do whatever the fuck I want with it. And he doesn't care how cruel he is. Like, he has no empathy for Tyrion at all. Like, I think that Tywin is a sociopath. Oh, definitely. I don't think he's... I I don't think he has any empathy. A lot of people say, you know, um, was it... I think his his aunt... Um, the uh, I just forgot her name. The Lannister that married um, a Frey. Uh-huh. Um, she tells, uh, I think she tells Jamie that she that Tyrion is. Uh, she told Tywin that Tyrion was Tywin writ small, and oh. that really pissed him off. And to some degree, I do, I agree with that. Where you know, like Jamie and Cersei really lack Tywin's sense of strategy and cunning um to the degree that 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 Tyrion has it Uh but at the same time Tyrion um we see multiple times he can be very he can be very compassionate and um very um outreaching to other people Tywin over and over again just is like not only brutal to his enemies, but even to people who are his allies, he's very cold. Like when Joanna died, Elia had, or was it? Yeah, Elia and Oberyn were there to meet Cersei and Jamie, mm-hmm. and that was like their mother's plan. And Tywin's just like, "F off! I don't want to talk to you." Like, right? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Like they came all the way to Casterly Rock to see them and he wouldn't even give them an audience. Like it took forever before they even got to see the other children. Um, and they're they're allies, you know. It's a close friend of Joanna's. Like, why are you being so cold? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think Tywin has any real warm feeling. And you know, they say the only time he smiled was with Joanna and um Part of me wonders if that was even true love or if it was just this was like the one good thing in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't I know. Mean, I mean, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I actually do think that he loved Joanna. But at the same time, I feel like probably not. Like he probably loved her as much as a sociopath can love somebody because at the same time, if you really loved her, that love you had for her would extend to your children. Like that love you had for her would extend to Tyrion. That love you had for her would extend to Cersei. Cause I don't feel like Tywin loves Cersei. I don't feel like Tywin loves Jamie. He treats his kids as it's like commodities. Yeah, like as purses or something like handbags I don't know I don't know like he doesn't treat them as like a loving father would like he's no Ned Stark he's no Mace Tyrell like he doesn't he's very dismissive of his children like he did he doesn't even know that Jamie and Cersei have a relationship and it's like how can you not know that like everyone knows your brother knows Tyrion knows everyone knows but Tywin who doesn't miss well maybe he knows and he's just being ignorant ignorant and that, 
I know that there's like a big theory that like he's known the whole time and he just doesn't either he just doesn't care because it's not it's not public enough to shame them like to shame House Lannister to you know what I mean like like people don't people have their their suspicions but no one no one until like Stannis you know um has like the balls to be to tell all of Westeros like <laughs> Jamie and Cersei are having incest babies over here right. clearly You're like right. everybody else just kind of it's I think everybody else kind of sees it as like a vicious rumor um that is probably not true and I think Tywin Tywin cares about rumors like we see that he really does care about the reputation of House Lannister he hates them being laughed at the way his father was laughed at but I think at the same time maybe he doesn't care enough as long as it's not too open or maybe he just doesn't know I I lean towards him not knowing but I could see him knowing it just being like eh as long as they keep it on the DL you know it's fine yeah I mean, I think maybe that's possible. I mean, yeah, I don't think he would care. Like, if you actually think about it, he wouldn't care. He wouldn't give a fuck. I mean, he doesn't really seem to care about the gods a whole lot. Like, he doesn't seem to be a very religious man. And, like, it's an abomination in the faith of the seven. So if he was really religious, like, maybe the Manderleys or something like that, I could see him being like, oh, no. You know, you, you're committing abominations, but he doesn't seem to be super religious. And if it's not outright affecting them, I don't see him caring that much. Yeah, I know he carried he cared about Tyrion bringing whores with him to King's Landing. Yeah, I mean, but I think that's because he doesn't want Tyrion to have an ounce of pleasure in his life. He wants Tyrion to have a miserable life because Tywin, he has whores. He just does, he does it discreetly. He doesn't want anyone to know that he has whores. But I mean, at the same time, it's like, you, you just don't want Tyrion to have an ounce of fucking pleasure. Like what does Tyrion having whores have anything to do with anything? Right. Like who, I mean, throughout the entire Song of Ice and Fire, you know, how many men, how many men of of great houses let alone nobility at all are with whores and we know this and like they have those like special pleasure houses that are really expensive like like peter baelish's um pillow house is like not not for men uh, not for everyday men these men have coin a lot of coin right yeah I mean, Aegon the Unworthy, good lord. How many kids did he have? Prince Damon. Prince Damon. Yeah, so like Tywin, to me, it's just that Tywin just didn't want Tyrion to have an ounce of pleasure and wanted Tyrion to be miserable. And the more that Tyrion kicked on and lived his life and laughed and drank and fucked, Tywin was pissed off about it. And I love Tyrion for it. Like, do I'm you kind of surprised that he never I'm kind of surprised he never just like kind of cut him off for money a lot you know like it's just like if you're gonna just spend your money on whores then like here's your tiny allowance <laughs> I don't know I don't know he seems like that kind of dad <laughs> oh, he's a dick but that is Tyrion 6 and I want to thank you for coming 
Thank you for having me. This was a delight. I don't get to talk to other Song of Ice and Fire fans very much, um, at least not in person. <laughs> so that was good. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was really nice. And you're welcome to come back on for another episode if you want to. And would you let the people know where they can find you one more time? Yep. Um, on YouTube, you can find me as Titania Blue. Um, I don't really make videos myself anymore, but um, you're you're happy to send me a message or talk to me. Um, you can find me on Reddit as uh, Chip Watsua, it's C-H-I-P-W-A-T-S-U-A-H, because I know no one's going to know how to spell that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can find me on Twitter as uh, Tatiana of House Nymeros Martel. If you had a question about what my favorite house is, there you go. <laughs> house Martell. Yep. I mean, if I had to live in Westeros, I would totally want to live in Dorn. Like, oh, definitely. It's it's the most it's the most um, modern place, I would say, without being crazy. Like, I don't know. There's there's some places in Essos that you might do okay in, but. I don't know. As a woman, especially, yeah. how Doran gives Doran. you a lot more freedom Doran. without having to be like enslaved or pro made a prostitute or something. Yes. But thanks again for coming on. And you guys, I will see you next week for another episode of Obsidian Nights. Have a good day. Bye.